Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. We've been in Ephesians chapter 4 for most of this year, and we're going to be there again this morning. So if you have your Bible or an app or whatever it is that you use to find God's Word, I'd invite you to Ephesians chapter 4 with us this morning. Um, I am excited for spring. I don't know if you were here early enough to see Matt Garrison's barb against me, Um, but I am one of those people that when I look at the temperature planned for today, I get excited uh, because it's right around the corner. And I also feel like that we are borrowing from March when we get days like this in February. And so I'm I'm anticipating warm summer nights. Uh, We were in Somersville uh, for the weekend and we had snow there um, it went from 65 on Thursday to 22 on Friday and snow squalls. And so I'm tired of that. I'm ready for warm water and sunshine. So bring it on. Here we go. Uh, today we're going to continue in our series uh, entitled Equipped. And this is the second of three series that we're looking at this year uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. The first one was entitled Unity, and that was this fall where we looked at how God has called the church to be unified. And now we're looking essentially at diversity, how God has created the church to be unique and designed it to accomplish his mission in the world. And then we'll have one more series this spring after Easter that will call us to maturity. How do we grow into maturity? And so this is the middle of that. It's also the fourth sermon in this six-week sermon series. And so that's what we're in this morning. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the model for the church. How is the church put together? And then the process for discipleship. How does that take place and how do we participate? And then what's the purpose of that discipleship? What's the purpose of that discipleship? And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. So Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12, and it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Last week, you heard about these distinct voices A couple weeks ago, you heard about gifts and how the church, how Christians have been given gifts to serve within the context of the church. And last week, we looked at how there are different voices or lenses that God has equipped the church with, apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers for the work of the ministry. And so today, we're going to look at how is the church put together? What is this grand design that God has for the church as he has put it together? And then how does that work in the making of disciples? How does that work in the making of disciples? So I've given you kind of a a big picture look. There's some intentional design behind the model of what God has built or what Jesus is building in the church. There's some intentional design around that. So the first thing you see is that there's the big C church. The big C church, so this is global. This is all over the world. This is, this is all happening even now. There are Christians in every country on the planet right now. And it's historical. It goes back to the time of Jesus. And so there have been Christians since the time of Christ from then until now. That's the big C church. And Peter describes it like this, and I love this picture of what the big C church is says this, you are a chosen people. And you could put all or you could put y'all there. 
but y'all are a chosen people. It's the plural. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him. This is the big C church. This is who we are, a, a royal priesthood. There's access to God through Christ now. We don't need someone to go between. That's Jesus. He solved that. We're a chosen people. We've been, we've been called out. We're a holy nation that's set apart. And there's a nation implication there. And so it goes beyond borders that we might have and that we might have drawn on our own planet. He creates this, this new nation, this holy nation that, it's, that is set apart for this purpose that God has called us to. So the big C church. So he's doing that, not just in Charleston, West Virginia, but all over America and all over our world and history past and eternity future. And it's all part of this big C church that Jesus is building. So that's the beginning of the model. It's bigger than you or me. It's bigger than you or me. It includes more than just you and me. But there's a second part that's part of this model, and that is the local church. The local church. And I've defined it this way. If you, if you look up local church, you'll find all kinds of different definitions of what people might say that it is. And so I tried to find, you know, a couple sentences that would condense the beauty and the majesty of the local church in just a couple sentences. And so this is what we have. It's a unique bodies of believers. And that word unique is really important. Really, really important. We're going to talk a little bit about that who gather with each other regularly. There's an importance about us being together, being knit together, physically in person, the gathering of people within communities, within cities, within valleys, within areas has been historical all the way back to the time of Paul. When Paul traveled and he planted churches in different communities, in different cities, and those believers would get together, they would gather together and so there's a uniqueness about that gathering. There's a supernatural element to the gathering when God's people get together. And so that's part of being the local church. So we gather with each other regularly for the purpose of building each other up and going on mission together. It's twofold why we're here. We're here to build each other up. And God uses this time and in Ephesians, we see that, that he is the one who is building us up through each other. It's the spirit of God in me meets the spirit of God in you as we gather together. But we don't just get together to just be together. We get together so that we're trained and equipped to go on mission for what God has for us in the world. So the local church. So it starts with the big C church, the universal church. Then it moves to unique bodies of believers in all kinds of communities around the world, gathering even right now as we speak under the banner of Jesus, this local church. And then within each local church, there are elements of leadership, elements of gifting that take place. And so here at Bible Center, we believe that the Bible would teach us that we should have a plurality of leadership. That basically means that we're not built around a person, 
but there's a plurality of leadership that we see described in the Bible, and it's this word, elders, overseers, or pastors. And so if you read the New Testament and you see these words, they're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. This concept of elders, overseers, and pastors. And so one of the things I love about Bible Center is that historically, we've had a plurality of leadership. And we even do now, we have a group of people who are elders, they are overseers. They lead the church as a group. And this is a specific thing, they lead and they teach in the church and they lead in the effort and the equipping of the saints. And many times when you find someone who is in this role, in Timothy you see some of the description of what this looks like. Timothy, you see some of the description from what this looks like. In verse one of 1 Timothy three, it says, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Desires a noble task. And that word aspires is an interesting word. There's a, there's, there's a concept here that, that there's a, a want to be this type of person. And that happened in my life. I remember we were living in Florida and I was in my mid-20s. And some of you would say, why would you ever move away from Florida? I got that when we moved away from Florida. It was to be with you. Um, and so we were living in Florida and we were, we were young. We were pregnant with Allison, our first kid. And I was teaching in a, a large Christian school there. And Emily, my wife, was teaching in a large Christian school there. That's where we started our careers. Um, and I was coaching soccer and uh, really, really enjoying it. I was teaching elementary PE. And the, the beauty, I don't know if you know this, but the beauty of teaching physical education is that you get to wear shorts to work every day. And so in Florida, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal. And so I enjoyed that part of it. And so um, I was teaching and and I knew coming out of school, I knew kind of that I wanted to work with students. I wasn't really sure exactly what that meant and how that was going to play out and where that was going to play out. I just, just knew that I wanted to work with students. And a lot of that was because of my time here. And so when I lost my dad when I was 11, I had so many people step into my life through my teenage years who filled gaps for me and discipleship roles for me. And so there was this burden in my heart to work with almost kind of to pay that forward. Like I wanted to work with other students who may be going through things like that and I could fill that role for them. And so God was stirring in my heart, but I wasn't really sure what he was doing. And so I went into education. That's what I knew and that was what was available. And about three or four years into that journey, I was just unsettled, just unsettled. And I kept shifting, you know, I'll teach this job or I'll do this job. And I taught Bible and I, I taught math one year, which was a train wreck, um, really bad. Um, sixth grade math, like really bad. Um, but I just was unsettled with it. And so a friend of mine said, there's a church down the road that is looking for an interim part-time youth pastor. Like, you can't get more temporary than that, right? Interim, part-time, youth pastor. I mean, how many classifications do you need on it? So that's what they were looking for. They had an interim pastor. They had just lost their pastor, and they were looking for an interim, part-time pastor for, for the student ministry. And they needed somebody who just would show up on Wednesday nights and run the thing on Wednesday nights and be there on Sunday mornings and then do like one event a month. And that's all they wanted. 
that's not a great way to do student ministry, but okay. So I was like, I can do that and also teach. And so I didn't have to give up my teaching job and I jumped into that. And we went through a full year working with this student ministry. It was our first time working with a student ministry that was kind of ours. And so we left our church in that town and we went to this new church to serve in this new church. That year, the joy that I felt and experienced from serving in the local church, it was like I was home. It was like I had found the thing. I had found the calling. I found what God had put me on the planet for. And I thought, this is gonna have an incredible ending. They're gonna come to me and they're gonna say, honestly, obviously, John, God has called you to this and so we want to pay you a million dollars a year so that you can do this job and nothing else for the rest of your life, right? Never forget it, we walked in a year after that first meeting and we've been there a year and fallen in love with these students and their families and I walked in the office and I had built a relationship with the new pastor. They had just hired a new pastor and I built a relationship with him and, and he said, I'd like to meet with you and the chairman of the elder board was gonna be there too and so I you know, was like, all right, this is gonna be great and I walked in the office and Emily walked, we walked in the office together and he looked at me as serious as anything and he said, we love what you're doing. We think what you do is incredible. However, we can only afford to hire one person and we need someone who can lead music. I lost to a guy who could lead music, basically is where I, where I felt like I went. And then he looked at my wife and he said, we would actually like to hire you though <laughs> to work in the office. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, we'd like for you to continue doing what you're doing, but we'd like for you to do it for free. And we would like to hire your wife. So I had all this confidence that God was calling me to this thing, calling me to ministry, and I had found it, and this was where joy was, and this is what God has for me for my life, and then boom, nope, not there, not now. And that was our first experience with what in the world? And I think... For someone who aspires to be an elder, an overseer, a pastor, there's, there's always a challenge. There's always something that you come up against that says, are you confident in this calling? Are you secure in this calling? Do you recognize that this calling is from the Lord? It wasn't six months. We had gone back to our former church and we had plugged in and the youth pastor, when I walked in the door, looked at me and said, why are you back here? And I told him, and he said, well, you call me when you're ready. Because he knew it was gonna take me a few months to figure out what was going on. So I remember about Christmas time, I went to him and I said, okay, I think I'm ready to plug in because students, is, that's where I wanna be. He said, all right, come to this event we're doing. It's kind of like our winter retreat. Come to this event we're doing and you run the games. And so I ran broom hockey for that event. Six months later, he had me on staff. Six months later than that, he left and moved to Cincinnati and I inherited this youth group at the church that we wanted to attend. So the Lord is faithful. But there's a calling that happens in the life of a person who aspires to be this elder, this overseer, this pastor, 
So I love when I get to sit in the room with the people that God has called to this unique body to lead in that capacity. And it's interesting that when you read in 1 Timothy, the list that Paul gives is not a list of gifts. It's a list of character. It's a list of character. And so other places we have gifts, but they're not necessarily assigned to leaders and elders and deacons and all of those things. They're, they're gifts to, the, to people. They're gifts to the body. But when it comes down to the leaders in the church, there's a character description that's there. So he says, whoever aspires to this, this is the type of character that you're looking for. So there's a big C church. There's the local church made up of unique, gifted believers. And then there's leadership within that local church of elders, overseers, pastors. And then there are servants, lead servants within each local church called deacons. They're called deacons. And those are the people that I've heard the word shock, shock absorbers. When there are things, when there are issues, when there are stuff that we're going through, they're the first to raise their hand and say, I want to help. I want to serve. Put me in. I'm ready to go. And the same thing applies here for those who would serve as deacons. There's not a list of gifts. There are character traits for these people that would jump and say, I want to serve. I want to be the lead servant. And then he builds the entire church, not on leadership, but on Christians. People. People who exhibit some of the gifts that Jesus exhibited. We've talked over the last couple of weeks about how Jesus exhibited all of those things, all the voices, all the gifts. And now he gives some of those to each of us. And so the body of Christ is made up of people who serve out of those gifts that God has given us, that Christ has given us. And we continually grow and are transformed and we become more and more and more like Jesus as we grow. And then neighborhoods change and cities change and states change, countries change. All because of this called out group of people uniquely designed for the area that God has called them to. Gifted and sent by God's spirit. The model. Second thing. The second thing is the process. So there's a model within the church, but there's also a process for discipleship that takes place. There's a process that takes place for discipleship. I'm going to give you, and if you go to verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4, it's this phrase, to prepare God's people, to prepare God's people. That's a process phrase. That's a phrase that when you read something like that, there's a, there's a process that's going on behind that, to prepare God's people. So what is that process? I'm going to give you a, a simple definition of discipleship. And this definition of discipleship is not necessarily a spiritual definition of discipleship because I would say that discipleship is kind of built on what it is that you're discipling someone to. 
You can disciple someone to lots of things. Lots of things. And so this is just a simple definition of how discipleship takes place. The process of discipleship in the life of a person. It looks like this. Discipleship equals intentional relationship plus time. Discipleship equals intentional relationship plus time. Okay, think about it for just a second. Discipleship equals intentional relationship plus time. While you're thinking, I'm gonna give you an illustration. Some of you may have seen this and wondered, why is there a basketball on stage? We could play up here, by the way. It's a pretty good floor. Why is there a basketball on stage? Well, because over the last three years, I've had the opportunity to coach at Cross Lanes where I graduated from, our varsity basketball team. And it's something that I just really enjoy, and it's something that when my kids were younger, I put down because I didn't have time. One of the things when I went through, I'm going to move into student ministry from education, one of the things that I sacrificed was coaching because I didn't have the time to do both. I didn't have the time to be at all the games for all of the students in our student ministry and also coach a team and also be a dad and a husband and all of those things. And so I put it down. And I thought at that point, I thought, you know, sometime in the future, I really, really would like to get back into coaching. Sports has been just a big part of my life, been an impactful part of my life. And so I love that. I love that. And so three years ago, that opened up for me to go back into coaching. And so I've been able to coach basketball for the last three years. And it's been fun. Fun because I love basketball. So I watch basketball, I'll go sit. I'm one of those people that when the state tournament's here, I'll go sit from morning till night, watch every game, follow it all, fill in the stats, like all of it. Like I'm one of those people, I'm fine. You just put me in a chair and leave me, I'm good. I'm one of those people. And so I love basketball, but I also love students. And so it's an, and it's an opportunity to combine the two things. And so over the last three years, I've gotten to, Coach, these guys, these are my guys. So yesterday we were at Summersville uh, at the top of the Golly River right there at the dam. It was freezing and a couple of them decided they were gonna put their feet in the water and there's icicles on the trees. It's you know, one of those kind of things, but I love my guys. And when I look at these guys, like I can tell you stories about them. Some of them are seniors, like the guy all the way in the back left is senior, Jackson. Fantastic. Love this kid. One next to him, Parker's a senior. One next to him, Andrew's a senior. One next to him, John's a senior. Like, we've been together for three years now. And so we've got so much life that we've spent together. Not just basketball, but so much life that we've spent together. And the journey is as much fun as the destination. The ups and downs, driving on a bus to Summersville and back and forth to restaurants and Staying in hotel rooms, and here in a couple weeks, we're going to Ohio for a tournament, and we're gonna, we're gonna stay in a house together, and I don't know how that's gonna go. But that journey is amazing. And so, in discipleship, I've been discipling these guys, not only spiritually, but to the game of basketball. And so, three things that happen when you look at that intentional relationship plus time. First is the object of the intentionality. So, I'm teaching them basketball. 
So we're learning how to play defense. We're learning how to play offense. We're learning how to take care of the ball. We're learning how to shoot. We're learning how to pass. We're learning how to move. We're all of those things. I'm discipling them. I'm teaching them. I'm training them with the object of them getting better at the game of basketball, right? So that's part of this. It's intentional. It's intentional. And the second thing is the consistency in relationship. So it's an intentional relationship. So we have a relationship. So like if I didn't know anything about them and never paid attention to anything about them, then there's never any consistency to what we're doing. I've never, I don't have anything to build on. So it's intentional relationship. And then there's time. There's a commitment to time. We have practice every day where we get together and we work on this thing. We get together and we practice doing this thing. And we do that over time. We have practice coming up on Tuesday and we'll have practice on Thursday and we'll have practice on Friday. And then we've scheduled things, scheduled times where we're getting together and there's a, there's a commitment that takes place as we learn how to play the game of basketball. So it's a crude definition of discipleship that works in almost any context. The difference is the process within the church, the process for us changes the object. It changes the object. Deuteronomy chapter six. If you wanna flip over to Deuteronomy chapter six. Many of you are familiar with the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Well, this is the Great Commission in the Old Testament. So in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, you find the Great Commission, what Jesus built off when he said those famous words in Matthew 28. Here's what is said in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The object here is these commandments. These commandments. That's the intentionality behind making disciples within the context of the church. The call that Jesus has on all of our life. If you know Christ, then he is calling you to make disciples. And the object of that intentionality, how you do that intentionally, is you make the priority these commandments. You make the priority God's word. That's the priority. That's the thing we come back to. That's the intentional thing. And as we read Deuteronomy 6, we see this as you go concept. As you go. Because there's an understanding that we are going. 
Sometimes without purpose and sometimes with purpose. Sometimes with intentionality and sometimes without intentionality, but all of us are going and all of us are making disciples. We are making disciples with our value systems, with our priorities, with the things that we find important, with the things that we give our time to, with the things that we influence others with. We are making disciples. I can sit here for the next 10 minutes and I can tell you how important it is that you go find a chocolate milkshake from Chick-fil-A and I am making disciples for Chick-fil-A. And many of us will do that in our conversations. We will have certain things that will come to and we'll say, you need to watch this movie or you need to watch this show or you need to go to this place or you need to take this vacation or you need to buy this thing for your life. But God is calling us to something so much bigger within the church. And he's saying your intentionality, the thing that matters is God's word. Make that your intentional discipleship. And as you go, do this. Make it a part of everything that you do. So intentionally, intentionally build relationships over time centered around God's word. That's the process of disciple making. And it doesn't mean just in a small group or just in a class. What does your calendar look like? When do you have specific moments within your day or within your week or within your month where you are specifically, intentionally building relationships over time that are centered on God's word? I'm one of those people that's systematic. I used to not be that way at all. I was a student pastor. And so we would figure it out as we went. But I've learned that systems are your friends. They're your friends. Calendars are your friends. And so if you look at my calendar, you will see names of people that exist from now till forever. Their monthly meetings, their, their weekly things, whatever they might be. And most of those are designed to have this intentional relationship over time. I don't know what I'm going to talk about at the meeting in July with that person. I have no idea. I just know when we get to that meeting in July, we're going to have stuff to talk about. That's the as you go part. As you go, because life happens, life continually happens. And so every time life happens, we need to meet it with the word of God. And so I'm intentional with my calendar so that those opportunities are there. Those opportunities are ahead of us. And that relationship is consistent. It's built and it's built and it's built because I'm giving it time. And then you look back over the last year and you go, okay, there's been some consistency in this relationship. There's been some discipleship that's taking place in this relationship. Then you look back in two years, you look back in three years. This is the model that Jesus left for us. Intentional relationship plus time. And it's the call for every believer, regardless of gifting, 
regardless of position, regardless of whether it's leadership, not leadership, it's the call of, to every believer to engage in making disciples, engage in this process. Jesus doubled down on it. From Deuteronomy 6 to Matthew chapter 28, he said, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. These commands, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens as we are going. But we go with purpose. We go with intentionality. Number three. Number three is the purpose. We looked at the model and we've looked at the process. Now let's look at the purpose. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter four, verse 12. To prepare God's people for what? For works of service. For works of service. This is the purpose that he has for us. I want you to cross-reference that with Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Same words. Now get this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, if you want a description of the gospel, what happens when Jesus saves you, it is the most glorious description of the gospel that I think is in the New Testament. We're, we're taken from death to life and faith and grace and all of these things. Like it's just amazing, this description of the gospel. But you get to verse 10 and there's a why here. There's a why so that we can do good works. Same word that's in Ephesians 4.12, that we can do good works. But here's the, the catch in 2.10. It's that God has prepared them ahead of time for us. He's prepared them ahead of time for us. And so what is our role in this? It's just to step in and participate. It's just to step in and participate. It's just to say, I'm in. It goes back to the intentional relationship over time. I'm gonna adjust my calendar so that God, you can do something because you've already got it figured out. You've already got it prepared for me. And so I'm just gonna step into that. I'm just gonna take that step forward into what you're calling me to. Think about it. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, by grace we've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Both the grace and the faith are a gift from God. Both the grace and the faith are not of yourselves. Both the grace and the faith come directly from him. And so if you do not know Jesus this morning, the biggest thing I can encourage you to do today is to start asking God to give you grace and faith. Because those are not things that we can manufacture on our own. They come from him. Paul says that grace and faith, all of the grace we got and all of the faith we have come from him. 
And so our salvation depends on him. It rests on him. It's not something that I can bring to the table, but it rests completely on him. So I'm asking God, give me grace and faith. Give me grace and faith. So the first thing he does is he equips us with grace and faith. He equips us with grace and faith. And then the second thing we see there in verse 10 and verse 12 of four is that there are works, there are good works that have been prepared beforehand for us. It's not that I go out and create these things. It's not that I come up with some idea that's gonna be the the next great idea that's gonna take the church where it's never been before. God has already built that. He's prepared it in advance and all I have to do now is step in. So he's given me salvation. He's equipped me with salvation and now he's equipping me with all of the things that I can do and he's just saying, step forward. Step forward, participate in what's going on. So he's prepared me that way. Then he's prepared me with the commands. So he says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So that's to me. He's given us all of those guardrails, all of those guidelines, all of those things that help as we are living our life to live more and more like Jesus. He's given us those commands, not only to teach others, but to live ourselves. So he's given me salvation. He's prepared good works. He's given me the commands. And then he's equipped us with gifts. And he says, this is how you're like me. And so lean into these gifts that I've given you. And then he's given us the biggest thing ever. And it's the major difference between Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 28. It's his last phrase. It's his last phrase right as he's getting ready to go back to heaven, he's looking at his disciples who have no context of what's going on at all right now. And they have all of this stuff that he has taught them. And he says this promise. I am with you. The ultimate model of discipleship. I am with you. I've given you everything you need, including myself. So my call to us today, God's call to us today is to participate in what he's doing in the world. It's bigger than us, but it's not smaller than each of us individually. There's a role for you. There's a part for you to play. And God has made the way and he's gifted you and he's with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for this passage of scripture and the confidence that it brings, the confidence in the promise that you've given us. 
I pray that we would lean in. I pray that even this week, the calendars would change because of this call. The time would be committed, that your word would be read, that meetings would spring up and relationships would be built because you've called us to that, to this kingdom work. We'll give you the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center. 